believing that you had triumphed over death. Thank you, Jesus, for being the light in all darkness and the only light and the only answer. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Growing up, I had night lights all throughout my house. I can't see you, but how many guys have night lights all throughout your house? How many of you as adults have night lights all throughout your house? All right, I do too. <laughs> Darkness is something that kind of makes us a little nervous sometimes. You stub your toe in the middle of the night, um, or you don't know if the boogeyman is under the bed, so you shine your flashlight everywhere. But the cool thing about night lights is when there's darkness, it illuminates. I mean, it's not rocket science that that's what they were created for. In fact, I want to reclaim these, the name night light, and call it darkness light. Why? Because it shines even when it's not night. It illuminates when there's just darkness. And it's common sense that we have this, but of course, we're in church service, so we're going to talk about the spiritual aspect of, of light. So the next time you see a night light and you walk through a, through a room and it pops up, be reminded of this one truth. Light influences darkness. Darkness does not influence light. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in truly a dark world. And as we're about to discuss today, setting up this whole Christmas series, darkness has always been because of sin. So I want to encourage you today, no matter who you are in this room, don't fall asleep when we talk about darkness and light. <laughs> For service, the lights went out, and I can kind of see illumination of some of you because light is bringing to my view from up here some of the faces. Nine o'clock service, half the church fell asleep because it was dark. Until we turn on the light, and then they're like, oh, I guess I have to wake up, because now Pastor Dave can see that I've fallen asleep and taken a nap. But I'm here to tell you, isn't that the same thing spiritually? When we're living in darkness, we fall asleep, and we forget about the light of God that is all around us, and in fact, in Christ Jesus, in us. So, I'm going to share with you some elementary truths about light and darkness spiritually so that you and I can allow our hearts to be illuminated with the Word of God as we go through this Christmas season. Because, and to tell you the truth, there's not much light when it comes to Christmas during Christmas. Now, there's lots of physical light. There's lots of lights all around us. The Christmas lights, you light up the, the Christmas tree, except for in Evansville, where the Christmas tree needs to be re restrung um, because it was ugly. But I think that's most of, most of the time in churches. I think the light of Jesus is like the Evansville Christmas tree. It's not very pretty. Why? Because we're not sharing the light like we should. So what should we do? We should be reminded during this Christmas season that light and darkness do not have a relationship with each other. This is what we need to know from the very beginning. Let me just give you a couple Bible verses. Here's the statement. Darkness is all around us from the sin of humanity and the evil of the evil one. Would you agree with this? 
There's evil all around us, and it's called darkness. And it says in 1 John chapter 2, For all of that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from who? Okay, so there's half of you are asleep. So uh, the word is Father, okay? All right, so here you go. Is not from who? God the Father, okay, but is from the world. So the darkness around us, duh, is the darkness that not that does not come from God, but comes from the evil one, the pride of life, and so on and so forth. But Jesus is the light in the darkness. Jesus is the light in the darkness. And this is what it says. Jesus spoke it to them and saying, I am the what? I am the light, and whoever follows me, I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's my, just from the very beginning, listen. If you are truly a Christ follower, if you're in Christ, walk in his light, and don't walk in darkness. Why? Because it is so easy. Would you agree that darkness can sometimes be comfortable? Darkness of the world, darkness of sin can be comfortable. We don't want to follow the light because it reveals the wrong, the sin that is in us, the flesh. So let me encourage you, let the light of Jesus penetrate our heart every single day so that the light can be where it needs to be. So darkness, this is what we need to be encouraged with. With Jesus is the light, but know this, that darkness cannot overcome the light. It just can't. I mean, like literally, I turned on this light, I mean, and if I, if I unplug it, I mean, you can clearly see that there's no, there's no light. But as soon as I plug it in to its power source, which I can't see, so I need the light to plug in the power source. Okay, all right. What happens? It illuminates. And if I'm seeing my screen here uh, for the people online, I'm like, it lights me up. So surprise. All right, so I'm, all right. So listen, I want you to be encouraged that light influence darkness Darkness does not influence what? Light. It cannot happen. This is what Jesus says. In the beginning was the Word, referring to himself, Jesus, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning um, was God, and all that things that were in him. And without him, nothing, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life is the what? Light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I want you to hear from the very beginning. Listen, we're going to talk about this more in a second. We live in dark times. True? Do you believe that? Do you, we live in dark times. So has the rest of history. But the one difference to the light is Jesus. So if you're currently walking in darkness, you don't believe in Jesus, you're living in darkness. But there's hope. The word of God, which we believe is true, the word of God that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, lights our path in the darkness. How many guys have ever gone to the bathroom in the middle of the night, the nightlight's not working, and you stubbed your toe or fell over uh, something. Okay, all right. So in our family, we are currently doing an interchange between summer and winter, and we have these tubs everywhere in our bedroom. And I wake up to drive my school bus sometimes early in the morning, and I trip over um, everything because it is so what? 
so dark. So I had to use my flashlight to illuminate. But I think this is what sometimes happens for us. Sometimes we don't allow the word of God to light our path. We think, I just know enough that I learned in Sunday school. I just know enough that I can be a little bit dangerous. I, can, I know enough of the Bible to um, read the Bible verse of the day. Yeah, it's dim. Please be encouraged with this. The Word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, will light your path. If you don't know where to go, go to the Word of God. And it says, the Word is a lamp to my feet and light to my what? So what does this mean for us? Yes, this is just the introduction of the sermon, so hold on tightly. We are Christ's light in the darkness, directed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I love this passage. It says, therefore be imitators of God. So who is God? Who is Jesus? He is the what? He was the light. He is the Son of God. He is the light that came into the world. So what should we do? We should be imitators of him. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, he's about to now talk about the darkness that's in the world that's not of the light, but sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness um, must not even be named among you as proper among the saints, those who are of the light. Let there, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place. Why? Because it's darkness. It's nothing to do with the light, but instead with thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covet, or covets, um, which is idolatry, has no inheritance with the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God um, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, can I get an amen for the therefore? You don't even know what it is, but I'm going to read it. So this is a big amen. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness. So we can reread this as it says, therefore, do not become partners with evil. Therefore, do not be partners with the world. Therefore, do not be partners with the flesh. Why? Because it's dark. But now, meaning now that you are in Christ, or if you are in Christ, you are the light in the Lord. So what should we do? Walk as children of the what? Right. Holy Spirit, help me as we enter into this Christmas historical narrative of you and your story, may you illuminate our hearts with the light of your word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter, chapter 1. And you're like, wasn't that long enough for the sermon? No, welcome to Catalyst Church. All right, Luke chapter 1. You guys ready for this? All right, I'm excited. We will not be talking about Jesus today. We'll be talking about the one who's preparing the way of the Lord to Jesus. You ready for this? Luke chapter 1. And yes, we'll be talking about Jesus. Don't freak out. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Remember, from the very beginning, this is a historical narrative. 
So the book of Luke was written to this guy named Theophilus, and Theophilus was a Greek or Roman that just wanted to account. He believed, people believed that he was part of, of Christ followers, but he's like, how do I know that this is truly real? And then in Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, it's like there's eyewitnesses. The people that saw Jesus resurrected from the dead is still alive. And now we get to tell the story from the very beginning to the end um, of the resurrection. And this is why in verse 1 through 4 we talk about, in verse 4 it says, that you, that we all may be certain concerning the things that have been taught. So listen, real talk. This story of Jesus actually physically historically happened, okay? So when you put up your Christmas tree, your nativity, and so on and so forth, be careful that we don't get stuck in just, this is what we do every Christmas. No, we're flashing back into history. We're going back in time, and we are pulling up the DeLorean, and we're opening up the doors, and we're like, look at what just happened literally. And now we're going to get back in the DeLorean, and we're going to try to find out what we can do to apply this historical narrative to our everyday life. And if you don't want to know what the DeLorean is, you're probably too, too young to know. So back to the future. Okay, here we go. So Luke chapter 1 starts this historical narrative, and we see in verse 5, it says, in the day, in history, in this time, there was a guy named Herod, and he was called Herod the Great. He was the king of Judea. All right, so the whole purpose of this series over the next three or four weeks is to recognize that Christmas was way darker in history, then we make it out to be, oh, silent night. No, there was not a silent night. It was a disaster in the world. So here's the disaster. For many years, Israel had been occupied, occupied, occupied by the Babylonians, the Syrians, and then ultimately the Romans came in and occupied them in 63 B.C., so the Israelites had moved from Babylon back into the city. We talked about that over the last couple of weeks. Moved back into Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the wall. But Rome came in and reoccupied, took over, over Israel and Jerusalem. They became um, subject now to Rome. So was Israel in control of Israel? No, Romans were. So I try to do this the best way I can because we live in the greatest country ever, America. We have all the freedoms in the world. Imagine our freedoms are taken away. China comes in. They have all this power. They come in. They whoop up on America. Highly unlikely, but um, they come in, whoop up on America. And now at every single church door, there's military. Every single place you go to, there's Chinese military communist country took over America. And they simply said this, China comes in and says, you can continue to live your life exactly the way you have been, but now you're subject to our authority. You're subject to what we want, not what you want. Ladies and gentlemen, this is basically what was happening. Israel was under the regime of Rome, and when Jesus came, he was under Roman authority here on, on earth. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear loud and clear that this was not O's silent night. They were stressed above everything else. So they started to revolt, and then Rome and the, and the census or the, the Senate said, you know what, there needs to be a king over this little area called Israel. So in 40, 40 BC, before Christ, Rome, the Roman senators um, voted that Herod the Great was to be called king of the Jews. And I'm here to tell you, he was far from great. He was great in darkness perspective, but terrible when it comes to the light. Here's a couple things. Herod the Great. So when you hear of Herod the Great, you should all go boo. Ready? Herod the Great? Okay, there you go. All right. <laughs> Don't do that around Herod. You die. Okay. All right. So Herod the Great was actually a Jewish. He, he belonged to, he's a Jew, but he was a traitor. What do we do around here with traitors? We lock them up, we kill them because they're bad, all right? In this case, they were glorified. They were the Jewish, the Romans said, okay, you're Jewish, you know the customs, make sure that these people obey Rome. But he was not only that, he was in charge of all the military power. So in like the story of Jesus, we had the Roman people who were doing their thing, and they came to, they came, they said, here's Jesus, we need to crucify him. They're like, wait, hold on. And then they said, okay, just crucify him, whatever. It's not, it's like not that big of a deal to even just kill off people um, back then. Why? Because just one person had to say kill, and there was murder. So not only that, he was greatly empowered by the Romans. He was greatly overtaxed um, the people of Israel. And the people, of course, did not like to be overtaxed. Raise your hand if you like to be overtaxed. Raise your hand. Nobody does. Okay, so imagine the tax that the IRS tells you to give. So let's just say I am Herod the Great. Thank you. All right. Imagine I'm Herod the Great. Okay, so I'm Herod the Great, and I am now, <laughs> I am now ruling over this, this, this state, and I get to say, okay, tax collectors, grab money from them, tax them so that we can take our tribute and give it to Rome so that they can kind of leave us alone and empower me, Herod the Great, all right, to do what I'm supposed to do. From that, Herod the Great... I probably should not have done that. Okay, all right. So he, Herod, I didn't say great. So Herod ended up taxing more. Why? So that he could fill his back pockets. So he was taking money off the top. And ultimately, he oppressed the people, crucifixions and other things. And we see in the latter part of, of this Christmas narrative that Jesus was roughly about three years old. The wise men come in. And by the way, there were not three was many more than that. The wise men come in and to give tribute to this, to this king. And it wasn't Herod the Great. It just wasn't. What ended up happening, as you know, Herod, Herod, I won't say great, Herod got a little jealous of this little baby Jesus. He didn't know who he was, but the Messiah had come. And throughout Herod's teaching and Bible teaching, synagogue teaching, he knew that there was going to be a Messiah who was going to rescue the people from, from sin, rescue the people. Christ, the Messiah, resulting in this. The people thought that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow Rome. Not just overthrow our sin, overthrow Rome. So they had very close-minded. So Herod did not want that. Why? Because he was king. So he came in and he murdered 
all the kids from roughly one years old to three or four years old murdered them all. Like annihilation of a whole generation right there. Why? Because he was not great. But he was great in darkness and worldly perspective. So this is what Jesus was born, born into. This was the life that Jesus started in. It was not a whole holy night. It was dark. But Jesus, the light of the world, cannot stop shining brightly. And all started through a guy named Zechariah and Elizabeth. The story continues. So in the day, verse 5, in the day, if you fall asleep, we're back on verse 5. In the days of Herod, king, uh, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and his wife from and, and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was what? Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all of the commands and statutes of the Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome to put on your tombstone? It's like Zechariah, blameless before the Lord. That just, I mean, I just think that. By the way, if I die and I'm, if that's me, put that on my tombstone. It's probably not going to be. So not going to be. So, all right. But it's something to strive toward. So imagine how great of a guy and um, how great of a woman that Elizabeth was. Verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So that they were old. Some theologians said 70, 80 years old. So they basically biologically could not have children. But you're about to see in a second that they had constantly be praying over and over and over again for this baby. Now, before we get any further, let's talk about the silence of God. So what we're about to talk about is Zechariah and an angel encounter. But at the end of Malachi, um, from the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. How many years of silence? Okay, so normally God spoke through prophets and judges and, and so on and so forth. Imagine not a word from God at all, no, like, prophet saying, thou shalt not, or whatever. Just dead silence. But the people continue to start being faithful as you can, they can be, which is great. So God was silent for 400 years. And I'm, if I did my math correctly, and if I'm, if I'm wrong, you can correct me later on. But it's like 400 years is all the way back from when the pilgrims came to the United States. I mean, we look at that, it's just like, that's like forever and ever and ever ago. Like, we can't even um, understand the boats coming over, and we have airplanes and jets and all this stuff. And, but the pilgrims, that's 400 years ago. But it's still relatively early in the historical narrative of the world. 400 years is not long. But is God being quiet actually... Very is, is that something that we need to be aware of? Yes. So let me ask you this. How many of you can be honest and say there has been a time, maybe now or before, that you just felt God was silent to you in your prayers? Raise your hand. 
Yeah, I, I can raise both my hands and both my feet and say, I have not heard from God many, 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 many times. And sometimes it feels like 400 years. But does that mean that God was not working in the meantime? He was working the entire time. We see Elizabeth and, jo- Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had been praying for 80, 90 years of their life. And had God given him them a child? No, but they're faithful. They're good Christian people. Shouldn't God know? God had a plan. And the plan was, in the middle of his silence, to prepare for this little baby to come out of miraculous birth. And his name is going to be called John. John the who? Baptist. Baptist. We all know about where John in the Bible, all right? And so this had to happen before Jesus would enter the picture. So let's come back to this. Maybe you feel this way, that in the middle of darkness, of God's silence, and it's dark. It's dark when God is silent. Listen closely. The light of Jesus can be seen. We just need to be still and what? Trust him. Let him be that nightlight that's going to guide us in our everyday life. So what does it mean, real quick, in the middle of God's dark silence, how can light be shined? It's simply this. God allows for us to go through circumstances and situations in our life that are really dark. But on the flip other side, as you'll see in Zechariah's story in a second, at the end of the story, we get to glorify God as God's helped us through it. All we had to do is be still and know that he is God. And then I love this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the who? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, but in all of your ways acknowledge who? Him. And he will direct your path. He will light up your path. So I can imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth. They didn't have kids. They're like, we want kids. We we want kids to be able to further the line of Zachariah and so on and so forth. What they did not do is they stopped being faithful. They continued to be faithful the entire time. Why? Because they simply trust the Lord. They did not lean on the reason why, and God directed their, their path. This, I want you to hear me. This is where you need to be. If you feel God is silent in your life right now, let him illuminate your life in the middle of the darkness of silence and just be still. And know. That he is God. Let's continue with this pretty cool, pretty cool. I laugh because there's some funny stuff here. Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. But they had no children. Now, while, so in verse 8, if you fall asleep again, now while he was serving, Zechariah was serving as the priest before God, um, when the division, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, He was chosen out of Lot, out of this group of people, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at that at that hour. So let's let's go through some. I'll show you a picture real quick. These are the the priestly duties. So 
roughly once a year, they would have a group of people that would take the blood from the, sacrifice, from the sacrifice and bring it into what's called the Holy of Holies. So this area here in the temple, um, and you can see it here, is what's called the Holy of Holies. And it was divided by a curtain. This curtain that you see here and here divided the sinful men, sinful people, from a holy God. Kind of sounds familiar? God is holy, we are not. For all have sinned and fallen short of the what? The glory of God. So even think about this. Even in our ways, we're like, how can I get to God? The answer is, you have to go through a curtain. And in this world that we live in, he's called Jesus. When Jesus took his last breath on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus became that perfect Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, and he died on the cross for you and for me, who all who would believe. And there was this part that says the curtain of the temple tore in two. At that moment, this curtain that could only be entered by pure, blameless, righteous, holy, good people, and anybody like that in this room here? No, because of our own doing, but we become this because of Christ. We become holy, pure, and blameless, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done, and that now gives us access to this. Now, let's go back to the DeLorean, look back, back in the day. Listen, this is what ends up happening. Zechariah was blameless. He was righteous. He was good. He followed all the laws as well as he could. He was commissioned to enter into the Holy of Holies and to give an offering to God through blood and incense to God, ultimately saying, please take away the sins of our nation. All the people were outside praising the Lord and just waiting. Now, theologians are split on this because nobody necessarily knew if Zechariah had the rope tied to him. The rope was basically a rope or a cord tied around his waist or some sort of harness. That if Zechariah would, or any of the priests, would enter the Holy of Holies as a sinful person. In other words, um, he, was, he did all the right things and then he cussed out his wife um, the day before and just like, err, a bad woman, whatever might be, or whatever sin that he did. He would be found sinful. If he entered the Holy Holies, what would end up happening to him? Dead. Dead. Why? Because God cannot be in the presence of sin. He's holy. That's why it's called the Holy of Holies. So the rope, the cord. So if Zechariah did something bad, he would kill over dead. And after a while, they would start tugging on the rope and then be like, well, there's no tug coming back. I guess he's dead. So they would take out the body. You got, got the picture? It'll make sense in just a couple of seconds um, why that's a little funny. So here it is. In the middle of this, Zechariah was doing his, his duties. Um, and it starts again in verse 11. So he enters in. Okay, verse 11. What had not happened for 400 years? What had not happened? So God was silent. Okay, so no angel encounters, no prophecy, nothing that was recorded in history. Okay, watch this, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. 
Boom, shakalaka, there's the angel, all right? Standing at the right, center of the uh, right side of the altar um, of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Duh, there's an angel. Okay, all right. And fear fell upon him. And the angel, angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been what? Heard. Okay, so um, let's get to this in a second. I just got it. When we read the scripture, since it's history, it actually happened. So we need to go back and say, this is how it could have happened. So here's Zechariah. It's like, I'm a holy, perfect person. I've followed the law. I'm going to enter in. All right, I'm not dead yet. Okay, so he starts probably lighting this thing, taking the blood and putting it here and all of a sudden. And then, boom, out of nowhere, an angel shows up. How many of you be like, whoa, that's cool. Give me a high five. All right. No, we'd be like, we would be freaked out too. Not only freaked out because there's an angel that showed up, but because there's 400 years of what? Silence. All of a sudden, boom, shakalaka, the angel showed up. I don't know about you, but I would be afraid as well. We see this, that he could have been, so this is just speculation of what could have actually happened. One, he was shocked and all that this ended up happening. He was afraid all right. But another thing he, you see, we're going to see, he doubted. He's like, why me? Why am I here? Another thing is like, God showed up. Now I can give him a, a, a little bit of my anger. Why? Because for 90 plus years or so, he, they had no what? They had no children. And God's like, I'm now the angel shows up. So Gabriel, you tell him this. Okay. But, but then you get into what we're about to see is he was, he was like, how can this B. I'm going to read the narrative in a second, but how can this be? I want to encourage you from the very beginning. How can this be in your life? God. How could he love you? God. How could he speak to you? God. So from the very beginning, when we look at Zechariah and we're like, I wouldn't be scared of an angel. That would be pretty cool. Put your ego to the side and see it through the eyes of 400 years of silence, 90 years of praying, and then an angel of the Lord shows up. And he says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, yeah, angel, give me a high five. I've been praying for all these years. I've been a good Christian and all this stuff. Yeah, angel, mm, yeah, I'm good. But is that how he responds? No, this is what he says. The angel comes and says, your wife will bear a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have glad, joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink of the wine of a strong drink. He was taking what's called the Nazarite vow. And he would be, will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. We'll talk about that next week. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the, of the fathers to the children and the sons and the disobedient to wisdom of the just and to make ready for the people prepare for him. And he did not say yes. He said simply this, 
how, do, how will I know this? If I was the angel, I'd be like, oh, I'm here. It's like, I'm an angel of God, and you're questioning why and how? Zechariah was as human as you and I. How many times do we ask the question, why, and we do not have any right to do so? It's not wrong to ask the question, why or how? We just need to be still and to trust that he is the great God in our life. So maybe this can encourage you before I continue to go. The darkness of disbelief. How many of you guys have ever struggled with disbelief before? Welcome to Catalyst. The darkness of disbelief in this moment, the light of Jesus helps our disbelief. Why? Because he keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. Not one promise has God given that he's failed to keep. Zechariah, a priest, a teacher of God, a holy teacher of God, still asked the question in his disbelief because he was probably still baffled by darkness, shock and awe, and he's like, I'm 90, 80 years old. How can this be? Instead of saying, yes, Lord. And he says, how can this be? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I'm just not this little podunk angel. By the way, there are rankings of angels. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And Zechariah's like, um, I'm old. My wife is old. I don't know how. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this takes place because you did not believe. Again, the disbelief. My words which will be fulfilled in their time. <laughs> and then the angel disappeared. He's about to come out. But between that time, I, I would say in verse 21, this reading into it a little bit, I would say Zechariah was probably talking to the angel, and all of a sudden here he feels this kind of a nudge. You're like, what's the nudge? Don't forget, he probably had a rope around him, all right? Why? Because he's in there longer than normal, talking to an angel. So what do you think the people on the outside were doing? Is he dead? All right? Is there time to pull him? I'm just, it's not in the scripture, but I'm just like, in history, that's probably what ended up happening. Then we see this, and the people were waiting outside for Zechariah, and they were wondering, this is why I say this, they were wondering why he was delayed in the temple. Then when he went out, he was unable to what? That's just funny in a second. He was unable to what? He was unable to speak to them, and they recognized and realized that he had a vision, um, and then making signs to them, um, and then he remained mute. And when the time of this service ended, he went home. In verse 24, Elizabeth conceived... And she hid it for five, about five months, and she realized that the Lord had been faithful all along. I want to encourage you with this as, as I close. 
with the rest of the story. God's faithful even though he's silent. God's faithful even when you don't believe. God is faithful and he's not on our timeline. But he's always, always faithful because he is the light and the darkness cannot overpower it. Verse 57. I'm just going to read this and just kind of see how this goes. Oh, actually, let's go. Yeah, let's go back to this. Now, when the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, she gave birth to a son. And the neighbors and the relatives um, heard this and the Lord and of all the great things that the Lord has done. And they rejoiced. And we see that the angel said that they were going to rejoice. Promises coming true. And on the eighth day, he came and circumcised the child. And they called Zechariah. Um, and he wanted to, they wanted to be called Zechariah. The people did after their father. Uh, but his mother insisted and said, no, his name shall be called what? John. And they said to her, there's no, there's no relatives um, to call by this, by this name. And then, <laughs> that's so funny. All right, verse, verse 62. And they made signs to his father. Okay. What was Zechariah? He's mute. In other words, he couldn't speak. And what, what were the people doing? It's like, It's like, if I was Zach Ryan, I could speak. Speak up! I'm not deaf. I'm what? Mute. Just like, okay, right? You just have to see that. Okay. Oh, people are just silly sometimes. Okay, all right. And they made signs to the father inquiring what it should be his name. And he said, he's, he asked, writing tablet, because he could not speak. Um, and, then John, and then his name shall be called what? I could almost imagine that when he fills in the N or whatever it was in, in Hebrew, they read the N, all of a sudden, he was like, his name shall be called John. And it says, and they wondered, and immediately his mouth were open, and his tongue was loose, and he spoke, and what was the first thing that he did? He praised God. He praised God. Why? And I wanted you to catch this, ladies and gentlemen. In the middle of the silence, God showed up. In the middle of disbelief, God showed up. And he kept his promises the entire time, which caused in the middle of the trauma and the trials of life, God remained faithful. And instead of saying, I want something to eat, no. He said, God be the glory and the praise throughout the trial of silence and the trial of disbelief. Why? Because God remains faithful. And fear came to the neighbors, and this is important. And all who heard these things throughout the whole county or country of Judea, and they heard these, and they laid up some they laid up this question in their heart, what then will be what what then will this child be? For for the hand of the Lord um, was on him. And you and I both know because of the hysterical uh, um, history narrative of this that in John chapter one verse nineteen, John himself, now thirty years old, declares what the purpose of him is. And I'm going to end with this. I'm going to ask you to wake back up and pay attention to this. You and I now get to continue to share the light and the love of Jesus, just like John did. God has worked miracles in your life that you don't even know about. God has answered prayers that you don't even know about. He's allowed you to go through trials that you know about. 
but you don't know the reason why. He's been faithful the entire time, and here is John at the end. About Jesus is about to come, and he's already born. They're, they're like nine months difference in age. We'll talk about this next week. John the Baptist was had a purpose, and it's not to gra- grab the greatness, but to point to the one who is great. And this is what it says. And this is the testimony of John, as we know as John the who? Baptist. And when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, he was in the wilderness, who are you? Remember on the heart of even as a baby, who is this John guy? He confessed and did not deny But he did confess, I am not the Christ or called the Messiah. I am not him. Look at me. You are not God. God is God. Whenever we try to steal the glory from God, be weary, ladies and gentlemen. God is God. You are not We are his child in Christ, now have access to the Holy of Holies, God himself, through Jesus only. So what should we do? We should not steal that that Godship in us, but we should be humble. And this is what he did. Because very easily, John the Baptist could be like, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Bow down, worship me. Give me your money. Give me your cash. I'll make a big, big church of the name John the Baptist. Did he do that? No. And he asks, what, what then? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you a prophet? No, he says. Then who are you? We have to give an account. And this is what it says in Isaiah. I am, John the Baptist says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the what? Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah prophesied, that would happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back sooner today than he was when? Yes, sir. He's coming back. Our job, every single moment of our life, especially during Christmas time, is to be like John the Baptist, to prepare the way of Jesus' return. So in the middle of your silent despair, let the light of Jesus shine brightly from you. In the middle of your disbelief, let the light of Jesus shine brightly through you. Knowing that when you shine brightly, being obedient to the word of God, empowered by the word of God through the Holy Spirit, you'll shine brightly. I mean, how awesome would it be if this Christmas season when everybody is putting up their nativities and everybody's saying Christmas, you're like, do you know Christ? He's the reason for the what season. Catalyst, do you believe Jesus is the reason for the season? If you do, shine brightly. And when you do, unbelieving world gets to see Christ in you. I'm going to read this passage in closing 
as my prayer for you and for me. It says this in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor a people, they light a lamp and put it under a basket. It just doesn't make sense. But they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, catalyst, in the same way, church, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. And when we do, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be boldly not only sharing Christmas, but we're living Christmas for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. So, is your light shining? If it is, shine brightly. If you don't even know Jesus, the light of Jesus can be given to you because he demonstrates his own love for you in this, that while you are still sinners, Christ died for you, and he gave himself up for you by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins to all who would believe. Turn your disbelief into belief, knowing that he is willing to save your soul out of darkness into his marvelous light. May we all now listen to God and what? Do what he says. Have a great week.